so good to share this moment with you. I'm really delighted and excited about what we're going to share together. In case you're joining us for the first time or you are rejoining us after a long time, <laughs> I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Right now, uh, I am sharing this message out of the third floor of our mission building, uh, our church site, right in the heart of San Francisco. And uh, I'm delighted to have this real privilege and opportunity to talk and to encourage and to strengthen you. That's my heart's desire that you would, um, you would get some tools for overcoming, uh, that you would have some principles that would allow you, if you pursue them and apply them with God's presence at work in our lives, that combination of principles and presence can produce a kind of breakthrough in our lives or a, a strengthening of our capacity for resilience. And what is resilience but bounce back capacity? And I know that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be able to bounce back. We may trip up. We may find ourselves stuck. We may get, um, we may wander <laughs> into a darker place from time to time, but we don't have to, uh, to live there. No, we don't. And the Lord wants to teach us how to get better, how to have um, a bounce back. Yeah. So Lord, even now we welcome your presence among us. We ask that you would bless this word, that you would bless this time that we're all about to share. We need you. We need your words. We need your spirit and we need your life. And so we all ask you together to bless and to be present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, let's quickly reset because we've been focusing on a man named Joseph. Joseph, this exceptional example from the Older Testament whose life still speaks to us after thousands of years. It's amazing. It's amazing how relevant his experiences are for you and me today. Again, Joseph has been in prison. This is what we're going to pick up. He's been falsely accused, but nonetheless, he has kept his eyes on God. And he's quickly risen to favor in this low security prison. As far as he knows, he will be spending the rest of his life, his sad life there. And that sort of sets us up for Genesis 40. And we will pick up with this. It says, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. It would have been Potiphar, Joseph's former uh, master, actually in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, interesting, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And once again, we are amazed by Joseph's genuine concern and kindness. I mean, no one in the prison, if you think about this, had been more unjustly treated. If anyone deserved to be <laughs> sympathized with, it was Joseph. And yet we see that, and it's a point worth noting, that Joseph was not defined by his disappointment. Joseph was not a, a man who was defined 
by his pain, nor was he captured by his wounds. And listen, he was not pretending or simply putting on a happy face. His demeanor of sympathy appears to have been a genuine reflection of a chosen attitude. Yes, an internal disposition that was determined to honor God as the priority of his life. Now, many of us, and I, I can speak for myself, but I think some of us should be able to can relate to this. I mean, many of us are easily disturbed. And if I can use this phrase, taken out of our game, when things go wrong or don't get better soon enough. And maybe some of us find ourselves in that place right now. Maybe it happens when our prayers go unanswered and, and our situation worsens or someone lets us down. You know, when these things start to pile up on one another, we can easily fall into despair. And then we can become in that despairing place, overly sensitive or irritable or angry. We all have drop down zones that we fall into when we're not doing well. Some of us fall back into very unhealthy, almost addictive patterns of behavior. We get stuck. We get stuck um, drifting into places that honestly, they don't do anything but damage us. Some of us find ourselves on the edge. We are easily irritated, uh, quick to anger, uh, offended. Uh, we, we are, in other cases, just, you know, looking for reasons to be displeased with people, people we love sometimes. Like in that place of sensitivity and discouragement and despair, we can very easily get into places the Lord doesn't want us to be. And, you know, like Jonah, under the unpredictable plant, we rehearse our complaint to God. Like, why, why don't you care about me, God? And although some of us may never say it, verbalize it, we may not be that kind of person. But our attitude, sullen and silent, speaks volumes. Our moodiness can betray us. You know, you know, Joseph, though, reminds us to make God our refuge. And I think that's worth noting again, because he really settled into a place of a of a trust base with the Lord. It, you know, he he couldn't change his situation, but he could own his attitude. And, you know, I think that's very important that we lean into the Lord when we and into his words, when we are feeling troubled or overwhelmed or defeated, when we feel pressed or perplexed, we, we need to take our case to God and settle our heart in a love that will never quit come what may. And we need to hold on to his promises and align our attitude and our demeanor. This is important with what we know is true, with what God's word tells us is true, which is why anybody who sincerely wants to follow Jesus well must have a continual pattern of feeding on his word and welcoming his presence, his spirit into our lives. This is, this is a key piece of resilience at a spiritual level. And, um, you know, uh, just we just have to choose to not allow our circumstances to circumvent our conviction. How about that? Not allow our circumstances to circumvent our conviction concerning God's faithfulness. No, 
we just hold ourselves right there. We say, you know what? I can't, I can't say this is what I wanted. I'm not happy with ha what's happening. In Joseph's case, there was no light at the end of his tunnel. But he chose to live a God-honoring life in the context of what seemed like a hopeless situation. And he really models for us how we are to walk when we find ourselves in places that honestly, um, they're probably not going to be as bad as the place that he found himself in. And as a result of jo Joseph's chosen position, like how he chose to be in his place of confinement, and how much can that relate to what we're all walking through right now? But because he aligned himself with the Lord and brought his attitude and demeanor into submission to what he believed, uh, he was able to empathize with the needs of others. It's just a remarkable testimony. You know, I was reminded of what the Apostle Paul shared, and I think we can put this up, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, and this is from the NLT. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. That alone is an amazing statement. And he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. And when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Think about that. It seems Joseph's unfair treatment. He was like, this is, this is a definition really of what Joseph was doing. Joseph's unfair treatment actually had made him even more sensitive, more compassionate, and more empathetic because he, he brought the Lord into it. And so instead of destroying him and defining him and defeating him, his, his pain was transformed to some, at some level into a place of, a, of a, deeper, a deeper, more empathetic person. Like the beauty of the man became even more evident because that's what pressure does. Pressure changes us. And that's what pain does. And so the only question is going to be, not if, if we're going to change, but how we're going to change. Pain and pressure are catalytic. And they're not, they're not going to leave us the same person, the same man, the same woman that we were going into our situation or exp our experience. We're either going to come out better or bitter, to use the phrase. We're, gonna, we're either going to grow through it and change and become more like the Lord as the, as the suffering and the pain shapes us to a more yielded place, or we're going to find ourselves shrinking back, falling back, and getting stuck and defined in negativity and a bitterness of soul. And I look at Joseph, and he really does model um, what it means to grow. I mean, think, think about this for a moment. I mean, if you look back, and some of you may go back and, and re-listen to some of the earlier messages from months ago, when we started talking about Joseph in the Up and Over series, but one of the things that characterized Joseph as a younger man in his, um, you know, kind of pre-Egyptian days as a teenager, really, um, though he was older, was that he kind of had an underdeveloped side to him that was insensitive to other people, particularly his brothers and even his father. Uh, there, there was a kind of low emotional quotient in Joseph that is revealed in the scriptures. And now we see him on the other side of, of great pain, 
now a decade beyond that time in his life. And he seems to have uh, really grown in his capacity to be touched by the sadness of another person. And he cared and he inquired. Now, I just want to take a moment to get us to think about this for a second, because I want to ask this question. I've asked it of myself. How do we do in this area? You know, how are we seeing people around us? And I would, I would take this to the closest circle, sort of the way that Jesus modeled life relationally. Jesus had a close circle. He had a secondary circle. Then he had the broad circle, the world. Let's call it the world. Um, his closest circle were the people that he was investing himself, his life into. His disciples, his family, I suppose, certainly his mother, um, whom he cared for. Um, he devoted himself to those, that inner circle. And then there were people who came across his path. They were followers or um, in those who engaged him. And then, of course, there was the world. But the Lord's love was extended in different ways to each one of those groups. And I thought, you know, the Lord wants us to have a same kind of love for the circles of relationships in our life. And I want you to think about what those circles are, starting with our own, our family and our closest friends. And, and then the next circle, I think, are the people that we, we are with relationally and we cross path with, paths with regularly, such as at work or in some of our social circles, or perhaps neighbors, or casual friends, people that we know at church, certainly, which is part of our spiritual community and our spiritual family. Um, and then, of course, there are people whose paths we just cross, kind of like, you know, the Good Samaritan. Um, and each one of those relationships requires a different kind of attentiveness and so, and yet they have something in common is that the Lord's always wanting us to be aware of being a blesser in those places. And so, um, you know, I look at Joseph and I, I think the reason he loved people is because he loved God. Or maybe another way of saying it is Joseph loved God. And so he loved people. When we love the Lord, we will, we will love people. It's, you can't, you can't say I love God, but I don't like people. Now, I, I'm not saying we, <laughs> we're all the same. I, I'm not, I don't mean that. I know some of us have a natural disinclination towards liking people. I get that. But I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Like it's empty religion to say we love God. And then yet we're not being sensitive to the people that are in our lives. It's a huge disconnect. It's done much injury to the way of Jesus. When we are one way uh, in terms of our devotion to the Lord, but then it doesn't show up in our relationships. It does need to show up there. And we need to be more humble and more thoughtful and more caring. We all do. Every one of us. Yes, we do. And that doesn't mean we're a doormat. I'm not saying that. Pastor Terry did not say that. No, he didn't. But I think we all can be more like Jesus. Yes in every one of those relational circles. I think one of the most important things to do, maybe especially at a time like this, is to keep our hearts soft. Um, we are li living in a very cynical, cold age where everyone, and that's an exaggeration statement, it's a bit of hyperbole there, but everyone seems angry 
I think social media has created some of that, the way we, the way people communicate now, uh, very harsh. And, um, you know, I think in the middle of all of this, Lord wants us, especially in these weeks, I really mean this, to keep our hearts soft. In an angry, divided time, let's keep our hearts soft as much as we can. Submit that to the Lord. That's what I'm trying to do. Okay, back to Joseph, verse eight. Remember, these two uh, officials shared that they had these dreams. Um, look at verse eight. It says, they said to him, because he had asked, what's wrong? You okay? They said, well, we've had dreams and we don't know what they mean. There is no one to interpret them. Now, there was, a, there was a superstition to the culture, no question, but there was also a sense that dreams meant something. And I still think that can be the case today. I don't think we always should dismiss them. I do think some dreams have spiritual implications. The Bible makes it clear. There's more going on than just what we see in the natural. There is a spiritual realm. But I hear Joseph say, oh, what, what did you say? Did dreams? Um, well, and I imagine this moment, Joseph says dreams. Oh, okay. Well, anything but dreams, you know, <laughs> I once had dreams and I thought those dreams were from God. That was, boy, those were, that was years ago. Yeah. When I was a younger man in another life, those dreams, all they were were illusions of grandeur. Look <laughs> where they got me. Oh my goodness. You know, I don't care about your dreams. Um, my advice to you is forget those dreams ever happened. But that's not what Joseph said. No, it wasn't. Was it? Even after 11 years of disappointment, no, God is still on the throne and listen, Joseph still believed in dreams. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell, tell them to me. Please let me, basically, please let me hear them. Perhaps I can help. It's an amazing, it's amazing when you think about it. Look at verse nine. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes. I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup. I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. Then Joseph said to him, I know the interpretation. This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. I can tell you, my friend, I know exactly what it means. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Yes, he will. He will specifically call you and he will restore you to your office. And you shall once again place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. That, my friend, is a good dream. <laughs> and it's about to come to pass. I mean, there was no hesitation. Joseph was given what is called in the New Testament scriptures, um, a word of knowledge. And the answer just came so clear to him. As soon as the word, the dream went out, the, the gift kicked in that God had given him since the days of his boyhood. And the chief cupbearer was, was very encouraged by that. Oh, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I believe you are. And Joseph says, you shall see. But God has spoken. And then Joseph added this one thing. He says, only please, if I can just say one more thing, please. 
Just remember me when it is well with you. Could you do that? Verse 14. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. If you could put in a good word for me, I, and get me out of this house. What he meant is this place, this prison, this place of confinement. Uh, look, Joseph then starts to tell a little bit of his story. He says, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that I should be, you know, they should put me into the pit. Basically, he's saying these, these turns of the events have been awful. I don't, I, I just need to tell you, I, I don't want to be here and I don't deserve to be here. If you could help me in any way, I would deeply appreciate it. So basically what he is saying is, please remember me when you are restored to your position. Don't forget me. I'm an innocent man. If you could help put in a good word for me, I mean, it would be such a blessing. And this reminds me of something, guys, that's worth hearing. It's okay to do our part, isn't it? Trusting God does not preclude us from exercising prudence and common sense. I mean, think about it. Joseph sees the opportunity that had opened to him. Perhaps, and who could say, it would be God's method of deliverance. And that would actually, ultimately, ironically, meanwhile, while Joseph is having this dialogue with the butler, the cupbearer, the baker is listening. And the favorable report that was given to the cupbearer, um, well, it, 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 it gave him the courage to share his dream as well. And he's thinking, wow, that was fantastic. What a blessing. You know, what a great interpretation. Uh, let me, maybe he's thinking, mine is going to be good news as well. And so it says when the chief, look at this, verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I, I also had a dream. Uh, there were um, three caskets of, uh, Baskets, three. Oh, a, yes, it could have been that. But there were there were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of out of the basket on my head, and and it was kind of scary that dream. And and Joseph answered and he said, "This is the interpretation. I know it. The three baskets are three days." And I see the bear going, "Oh, oh, good. oh, yeah." And in three days, Joseph says, and I'm sorry, my friend, but in three days, um, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and he is going to hang you on a tree and the birds are going to eat the flesh from you. Oh my, I mean, wow, that was brutal. I mean, <laughs> that was a bombshell. I mean, that was, that was devastating. And I, I see the baker saying, wow, I, are you sure? I, I hope you're wrong. I, I mean, he must have been crushed. One of the things Joseph does, though, is he does not hesitate to tell him the truth. No matter how unfavorable it was, Joseph, I noticed this, told him the truth. And because Joseph, you know, <laughs> he, he was an honest man. He was a truth teller. And it takes courage. It takes courage and honest love to share a word we suspect someone may not want to hear, but we know they need to know. And I was reminded of Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6. It says that an open rebuke in verse 5 is better than hidden love. Think about that. Tough love spoken is better than love that will not speak when it should. Did you hear that? It's better than silent love, love concealed. And then verse 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. A friend who tells us a difficult truth is, is better than a person who just flatters us, but doesn't 
care and in fact may even just be playing us. Now, obviously, we need to be careful with this. We need to be a people who are humble and courageous, a people who are willing to speak honest words, but kindly. Look what it says in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it. Look at that last part. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And Joseph's example also reminds us of something else, doesn't it? Something that struck me and really stood out to me. And I hope it, it will st stand out to you as well. But it, it was a reminder that followers of Jesus are to be what Joseph was. If we're, if we're working and, and really seeking to live a life that's honoring the Lord and we're staying close to the Lord, we too will become interpreters of life. Yes. Engaging our world with God, reality, and wisdom. That we will, we will be able to be there for people and help them understand the unique challenges they are facing and help them to hear God in the midst of a very confusing place in their life. That is, I think, God's will for us. I really do. To let our light so shine before men as Jesus taught us that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. I mean, I really believe the Lord wants us to be able to interpret life for others. Even when it's a hard thing, but a true thing in love, it's better than silence when we have it in our, our heart to share life-giving truth. May the Lord lead us in this way. Again, thinking of Joseph and how he chose to be a life giver in the midst of his place of confinement. You know, I, and then combining that with what Jesus said about letting our light shine, I remember reading a quote from a man named Patrick Kane. He says, you can curse the darkness or light a candle. The choice is yours. You can curse the darkness or light a candle. The choice is yours. You know, Joseph could have cursed the darkness of his life. He could have wallowed in his wound. Um, but he chose to light a candle, didn't he? He chose, he chose to light a candle. Uh, we may find ourselves in a place we don't want to be. That was the case again with Joseph, but he chose to be who God wanted him to be in the place that he didn't want to be. You heard me say it. He chose to be who God wanted him to be in the place that he didn't want to be. And it helped people. It paved, it prepared the way for the door of blessing in his own life to swing open in a remarkable way. It's going to be huge. Joseph was empathetic and he was interested and he was ready. And he chose to be, again, what God wanted him to be in the place he didn't want to be. And I think the Lord may want to remind us of that as well. And I was reminded of another statement that was made by a truly remarkable man, a man who would become a martyr uh, for his witness of Jesus. Some of you are aware of the story of Jim Elliott, the missionary. And one of the less known statements Elliott made sounds so simple, but he said this, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. And what Jim Elliott meant by that was he, Let's not give God our half-hearted service. Let's give our best for the Lord today, where 
we are. Where we are, wherever you are, be all there. Let's live for his glory. Wherever we may be, free or confined, um, prospering or limited, let's do our best to honor him, right? And to help others in his name. I mean, I just love that. And so, Lord, even now, we, even now, we just we just ask for that. Yeah, we want to we want to be completely yielded to you. Um, in whatever situation we find ourselves in, there is a pathway to honor you in it, and there is an assignment for us that you have. And sometimes we know that, but it, it's still hard for us. So, Lord, we ask for you to help us. Yeah, I have um, another thought to share. And I'm going to close this out with a blessing. But, you know, we're going to take a quick moment, shift a little bit. Uh, this is also the, and we're going to have a song. And it's going to, I hope, bless us and encourage us. And, of course, it's just my time to remind all of you that this is a time that we talk about giving. You, so many of you have just been amazing in your love for the Lord and your faithfulness. And like I said, we're all making this journey together. But remember, you can give the traditional way you can send it in, you can give online, you can give through the app. The key is though, first always give your heart to Jesus. So let's share this, share this song together and then I'll come back around. Here we go. Cause I know you'll make a way And I don't always understand I don't always get to see But I will believe in Yes, I will believe in You make mountains move You make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls I will speak to my fear, I will preach to my doubt, and you were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. I'm
Now remember, remember what we left off with, right? <laughs> Wherever you are, be all there. Let's give God our best in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Remember, it's not the place, it's the person. It's not the circumstance, but it's the certitude that the Lord is with us. And when we live in a way that believes that, and we act out of that, when that becomes our way of being, not perfect, but sincere, we open up all kinds of possibilities of what God can do. So Lord, it's because you're so good and you're so God and we wanna so good and we wanna so God. <laughs> yes, we do. All the days of our lives, when it's easy and when it's a challenge, we, want, we really wanna be able to honor you. And we thank you for the adversity because sometimes that becomes the mechanism of our growth and our expansion. Don't forget, you guys, you are greatly loved. And my prayer for all of us, even now, Lord, is that you would keep us, all of us, spirit, soul, and body, in Jesus' name.